Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day that we can come together as your people. We can worship, fellowship, be reminded of the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity. Lord, this morning we lift up to you all those among us who are in need this day. We particularly think of those who are sick or ill in mind, body, or spirit. Lord, we pray that you would be with them. You would strengthen them, comfort them. Lord, bring healing to them. Lord, we think particularly of those among us who um, are battling cancer. Lord, we think of Nick Protos, and we think of Brenda Justed. Lord, we think of Karen Clicker's father. Lord, we pray that you'd be with them. We thank you for uh, the good report from Brenda and from Nick that they are feeling well even as they continue to battle against this cancer. Lord, be with them, we pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the way in which uh, you do indeed meet us in our need. And Lord, we uh, think of the Eliza family. Lord, we pray that you would be with them in their time of need as they mourn the loss of Sandy's father. Lord, be with them and strengthen them, we pray. Lord, may they find their hope. May they find their find your love for them. Know that as they go through this, this time. Lord, may we be your hands and your feet to them. Lord, we think of those, Lord, as we continue to pray for the Ukraine, we think of those who are uh, under siege. Think of those who are uh, fleeing. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the generosity of this congregation. And Lord, we pray that you use the gifts to serve those who are in desperate need this day. Lord, be with them, protect them. Lord, we do pray uh, for the Russian people as well, Lord, that they might rise up, that they might call their leader to end this. Lord, that he would listen. Lord, we know that you, that even the heart of the leader is like water in your hands. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray that you would change the heart of Putin, Lord God. Lord, we were reminded this morning of uh, the need around the world, the need of the gospel to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we are challenged, Lord, we pray that you would indeed raise up from among us 1% missionaries to go to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you would place them and call them to go. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, the kids who are headed to Covenant Kids Worship may be dismissed. It's for all those who are four years old through first, second grade age. Welcome for your kids to participate during uh, the sermon portion of the service. As always, kids are welcome to stay with us in worship as well. This morning, uh, we will be in 
the Gospel of Mark. I'm going to read the text. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to read the text and then ask Greg to come up and preach God's Word this morning. This is Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 through verse 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bring him, but could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus?' Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torture me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he, and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decropolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Hmm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word made flesh in Jesus Christ. Mm. Lord, as we come to this text today, Lord, might we have eyes to see and ears to hear. May you be with Greg as he preaches your word. Lord, may you work through him in a mighty way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. It's great to be here with you this morning, and it's a real privilege to bring uh, God's Word to you. And um, 
couple of things, though. I, it's really fun to be here. I can really sense there's a vibrancy in this congregation that uh, really sense, and it's really awesome to have both a multi-ethnic and multi-generational congregation, and so I'm very encouraged uh, by my time here. And also, just to let you know, uh, with MTW, which is Mission to the World, which is the global missions church planting arm of the PCA, that's what we do. And um, we're so grateful for the generosity of God's people to the Ukraine. Uh, we have several missionaries who are there on the ground, um, both in, inside and outside the country. And so um, that is just one of the areas that we're able to minister to directly. So those gifts that you give will go directly to relief. And so thank you uh, for that. But I thought it'd be helpful. It's always nice to know a little bit about who's bringing you the word and from the pulpit. So I thought it'd be nice for you to get to know me a little bit. One, one little tidbit of information about me is um, I hate zombie movies. Uh, just despise them. And you know, I almost thought about, well, raise your hand if you like zombie movies, but I didn't want to call you out in front of the pastor and, and, and the elders. Uh, but there's just something about zombies that are they're creepy, uh, they're gross, they're disfigured. And um, so uh, I remembered arguing this with one of my sons, and I said, there's just something, I was asking him questions, and he has a good sense of humor, and, and tongue-in-cheek, he said, Dad, my generation grew up on zombie movies, I think I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so one day, I have four older sons and two younger daughters, and so my wife and daughters had gone to visit family, and two of my boys were in town, and they came over and said, Dad, let's have guy night, movie night. I'm like, sure, that sounds fine. And they pull it up on the screen, and it's, it's called World War Z. Yeah, yeah, I should have known. The Z uh, was the giveaway. And if you know, it's a, it's a zombie movie. Well, it's not a zombie movie, Dad. It's a virus, you know, or whatever. And um, so if you've watched it, don't watch the movie. I want you to be able to sleep at night. But in this movie, these people become these zombie-like creatures, and um, but there's one thing about them you have to know, that if you're completely silent and still, they won't bother you. But the minute you make a movement, then they come, you know, you're toast. And so my boys are there. We get done with the movie. I can't believe I watched this dumb thing. And they go off to their oldest brother who has an apartment locally. So they go off and stay with him overnight. And there I am. I'm left in my house by myself. And you, if you've ever been in your house by yourself, all of a sudden, every creek, right, you know there's something lurking there. And so I'm, I'm trying to fall asleep and finally get to sleep. And if you're like me, sometimes you wake up at like 2 a.m. and you're not sure where you are. And uh, I was in the movie. And, uh, and I just couldn't tell where I was. And I was paralyzed. Like, I'm not getting out. I don't care. I'm just completely silent in my bed. I'm a grown man. Um, and I'm not getting out of bed. What I, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, like completely petrified. But that feeling that I had that night would have been a fraction of what the disciples experienced when they got across the Sea of Galilee to the Gerasenes. Mine was just a dumb movie. They experienced demonic power. Probably like none of us has ever experienced. And so today... We're going to look at four things, uh, the place, the power, the people, and the purpose. Uh, so let's begin to unwrap this text. Let's look first and foremost at the place. It's the Gerasenes. It's across the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Decapolis because there were 10 Greek cities there, and they were founded by Alexander the Great before, uh, long before when Jesus came. 
Uh, so it's Gentile territory, right? It's one of those places where you would avoid if you were a Jewish person, right, in order to stay clean. And it wasn't even like Samaria, where if you're going from Galilee to, to Jerusalem, you could say, well, I'm taking a shortcut through Samaria um, rather than go around. This is a place that they ended up where you probably would not go. And that that's exactly where Jesus takes them. Because Jesus does everything. Everything he does is with intentionality. Now, one of my favorite movie series is the Born series, Born Identity. That's the one we should have watched that night. And if you're familiar with the Born series, you know, he's a CIA agent and they think he's gone rogue and uh, they're trying to catch him. They can't figure out, he keeps popping up on the grid. And finally they say, well, maybe this is just random. And one of the agents who knew him said, he doesn't do random. Everything is planned carefully. And that's the way it is with Jesus in our lives. Everything is planned carefully. And this is just a challenge to each one of us, just almost like a sidebar to this text. Do we understand that? Do you understand that Jesus doesn't do random? He does things intentionally in our lives. And I always find it interesting, and I do it on occasion sometimes. It's like, well, you know, I'm going you know, on vacation, knock on wood. I'm like, knock on wood? What does that mean? Why, why are we taking this kind of pagan, you know, animistic religion and bringing it into our, into our language? It's as if somehow God is not sovereign. I have to knock on wood for something to happen. And it creeps into our thinking sometimes. But Jesus doesn't do random so there they are. They're in this place called the Gerasenes, a place where you wouldn't really want to go to make things worse, carved into the hillside are these tombs. And you have to imagine, it was as creepy then as it would be today at night walking through a cemetery. It's a place that you would not want to go. And then to make it worse, out of the tombs comes this demoniac, this person who is possessed as we'll find out, not just by one unclean spirit, but many. And then in the background, what are there but pigs? And probably if you have a herd of uh, 2,000 pigs, this isn't just some pig farmers. Probably, we don't know for sure, a place where they were these were pigs were being raised for sacrifice to pagan gods. So here you are. You're in enemy territory. You're in a pagan burial ground. You're in a place with evil spirits and there's pigs in the background probably being sacrificed to pagan gods. Everything about this is wrong. It's a place where you would think to yourself, we should not be here. And if you read Mark chapter four, this is right on the heels of when there was that storm. They were fighting the storm in the middle of the night and Jesus comes and he calms the storm. They haven't slept Probably at dawn, they come to this side and they are faced with this. And I love verse two. It's just one of these little snippets that comes out. And he said, and, and when they got to the other side and Jesus stepped out of the boat, who's the first one out of the boat? Jesus. And I'm sure if it was me there, I'd be like, yep, I'm right behind you, Lord, right? Go for it. But here's the amazing thing. Brothers and sisters, there's no place that Christ will not go. There's no place that Christ will not go. 
he will go anywhere. To Samaria, to the Decapolis. He goes to the hardest, craziest, spookiest places. Why? Because in Luke 19, what does it say? The Son of Man came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus does. I mean, it's amazing enough that he would come off his heavenly throne, but then as the catechism says, be born under the law in a low condition. And then when he gets here, he goes to the hardest places. And that challenges us, I think. Because at least what I understand about American culture is one of the highest values I think we have in American culture is safety, right? It's creating this environment of comfort and safety and security. And I think this challenges us sometimes at one of what I would argue is one of our core values in American culture. Our coordinator, Lloyd Kim, who's head over all of MTW, was telling the story about one time about how they got to Cambodia. And they'd been, uh, you know, serving on the field, and it seemed like God was, was moving them to another field. And so they went to Cambodia, and he went with his wife and kids to go on a vision trip. And they're looking around, they're touring around, and they get to their um, apartment at night. Somebody had lent them their apartment. And it's a warm culture there, so you often leave the windows open and the balcony, you know, window or door open. And it's in the middle of the night, and, and all of a sudden, Lloyd hears movement in the apartment. And he wakes up, and a thief is in the apartment. Now, what is your parents? What's your first thought? You're in an apartment, and there's somebody lurking around. My kids, right? Runs into the bedroom, not there, and the thief is just leaving the balcony. And as he describes it, he goes out to the balcony, and the thief is kind of bouncing down into the street and, and looks up and smiles and has his wallet in his hand and takes off. Next morning, they wake up begins to um, debrief with his wife, Ida, and he's wondering, what is his wife going to think? And her response is, man, these people really need the gospel here. And that's what brought them uh, to Cambodia. You see, it's not our goal. There's nothing wrong with safety and security, but brothers and sisters in Christ, it's not our goal to create the safest, most comfortable place for ourselves. It's our first goal to follow Jesus wherever he takes us. And it's interesting to me, I was talking to a youth pastor not too long ago, and uh, you've heard of the helicopter parent, right? The helicopter, you know, they're, they're just hovering over their children, making sure nothing bad happens to them or, you know, directing them. And then he said, oh, there's a new term, it's called the snowplow parent. The one who plows the way for their child so there's no adversity in their lives. I say, well, that's not what the gospel calls us to. He calls us to go, and it may be some of the more difficult places in the world. And Pastor John prayed for it uh, just before I came up here. He asked that 1% of the congregation would be sent. That's a challenge that MTW has, has kind of cast to the PCA. Whoops, about to fall, sorry. Um, and it, one, that God would, over the next 10 years, raise up 1% of the PCA for global missions. Now, there's almost 300,000 people in the PCA. That would be 3,000 more in the next 10 years who would go. And that's our prayer. And I love the fact that it's becoming your prayer that God would raise up 1% of your congregation to be launched to the mission field to go to where Christ calls you.
But second, let's just look at the, the power. Let's look at what they're up against. Because a biblical worldview tells us clearly that God has enemies, right? And particularly Satan. And Satan has set up his kingdom against the kingdom of Christ. And as the text reveals, it looks like he's just possessed by one demon, but Jesus, who is interacting with the demon, and there's something going on, I think, there with naming, that when you name, you try to have power, right? So the demon calls Jesus the Son of the Most High God. Some would say that he's trying to gain power over him, and Jesus, of course, is all-powerful, and says, no, 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 what is your name? And the demon has to answer, we're legion. Some would say up to 6,000 soldiers were in a legion of Roman soldiers at that time. And you know what's interesting? I, this story is so awesome. I mean, often with stories with Jesus, like we don't know how the man got there. You know, it doesn't say, well, you know, he was messing with the occult and he got what he deserved, right? I, I mean, there's no reason. He doesn't tell us why. All we know is that Jesus is there to rescue him. Just a wonderful aspect of our Savior and the gospel, giving us what we don't deserve, amen? Amazing. And then you may wonder, well, why don't they just kill him? I know they can't chain him, right? You see, they're trying to chain him. Why don't they just take a legion of soldiers and go just kill the guy? They could have done that. But you have to also understand Greco-Roman worldview because the idea is they believe that there were demigods, these multiple gods, and that if they wanted to punish you, they would possess somebody like this. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to kill it because then more retribution might come your way. What you try to do is just contain it. And they couldn't even do that. So let's check out the condition of the man. He's possessed. He's naked. He's isolated. And he's in a continual state of self-destruction but not being destroyed. What does that sound to you like? This is a physical word picture, I believe, of what hell is like. That place apart from the holy presence of God being eternally dehumanized. And I think we, we often in our culture deny the existence of hell or, or maybe joke it off. Well, I'd rather be there partying with my friends. You know, than, no, you wouldn't. This is not a place you want to be. But praise be to God, Jesus has divine authority over this demonic power. And so we see in verse 6 that the demon runs up to Jesus, falls at his feet, and he cringes at Jesus' power. And I think this is a word picture of exactly what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 2, right? That every knee will bow in earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And we're seeing that even in this picture. He has complete and total authority. And he casts out, there's this odd negotiation. They say, don't kick us out. Go into these, send us into these pigs. And these 2,000 pigs run over the side of the cliff. Which, by the way, kids, what is it called when a pig dives off a cliff into the water? It's called a swine dive, just so you know. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I, was, and I, can, I can tell how bad it is by the moaning. Sorry. Alex, does that even translate? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. 
But that's the, our, one of our visions, uh, vision statements of, of uh, MTW. We want the gospel to spread throughout the world, the church to grow, Satan's kingdom to be destroyed, and Christ's reign extended to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, there's no place that Christ will not go. Secondly, there's no power that Christ cannot subdue. There's no power that Christ cannot subdue. He has power over sickness, over the creation, over evil spirits, and ultimately over sin and death. And that's what motivates us to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, to some of the hardest places. Working with a church, and one of the values they have in missions is to be recklessly dependent. It's kind of an interesting term. Recklessly dependent, meaning we want to step out in faith. And this is what the statement says. The Lord calls us away from the status quo to take risks by faith in his strength for the sake of God's eternal kingdom. The Lord calls his people to step out in faith that seems reckless, yet that reckless abandon to the will of the Lord brings glory and honor to him. And it can be to one of the most difficult places in the world. We don't know where God will call his people, but we go in the strength of the Lord because we know there's no power that Christ cannot subdue. About three weeks ago, I just got back from South Asia, a short-term mission trip. Uh, it was to a Muslim area, and we had the privilege of going with some nationals who were doing outreach in one of the village areas. And there we were. And, and the, for these guys, these are nationals, they go to these Muslim villages and they're preaching the gospel, and it is not easy. And they get persecuted and they get pushed back. But God is blessing the work. He's blessing the, the message of the gospel in even some of these more difficult to reach places. And it was incredible because uh, by the time we all went to, to visit and by the time we got there, things were starting, you know, before we got there, things had started to, to soften. And so here we are in this Muslim village. You know, we're the spectacle. We're, you know, just some foreigners coming in. And 25 people in the living room listening to my colleague talk about the Joseph story. And I thought, what is the Joseph? And, and can I tell you something? Family dysfunction is cross-cultural. They were listening and how God heals and restores families. God is on the move. The whole idea that you can be a lifetime in a Muslim country and see no converts is no more. God is moving and people are coming to Christ and some of uh, the most difficult places to reach. But let's look at some of the other people around. Let's look at the responses because Jesus' action always gets a response. So as we see in the passage, the herdsmen, right, they see 2,000 pigs going over the cliff and they're scared. Why? Because it's under their watch that 2,000 pigs just went over the cliff. And so they need to cover themselves and so they're trying to stay out of trouble. And so they go tell the people, hey, guess what? Something crazy just happened. It wasn't our fault. And you can imagine coming and going, this better not be your fault, right? And he goes and he points to the man and he says, look. They saw the man in his right mind. They see Jesus. He said, he's the one who did all this. And they're scared. And they beg Jesus to leave. It's an incredible scene. Now, on the one hand, I appreciate their response, right? Because they have just encountered a power greater than this demoniac, and they're scared. 
And like, we don't want your, just go, right? We're not asking for restitution. We're not asking you to pay for the pigs. Just go. But it's also sad, isn't it? Because the very one who can bring life and light is being asked to leave. And we'll pick up on that in a moment. But then look at the man. Verse 16. He's dressed. His shame is covered. His mind is restored. His self-destructive ways are reversed. And he's fully aware of what Christ has done for him. That is the power of the gospel. There's no place that Christ will not go. There's no power that Christ cannot subdue. And there is no person that Christ cannot redeem. He can save the most unlikely. Do me a favor and just picture some people in your life, in your circles, at work or family, who you think, I could never imagine them coming to Christ. And now using your sanctified imagination, reimagine what that would look like because that's the power of the gospel. And one of the coolest things about this story is that you notice the man, he's not a seeker. He's not coming to Jesus. He's not asking questions. He has no power to save himself. Jesus came to him. But I like to challenge people too. I like to say, well, was your coming to Christ less miraculous? Even if you grew up in the church, even if you're not exactly sure when you came to Christ, can I tell you it's no less miraculous? For God to take a heart that's dead, a soul that's separated from God, and bring it into his presence and make it alive? Nothing short of miraculous in the lives of God's people. But how does this happen? N.T. Wright puts it so well, talking about how Jesus makes all this happen by taking our place taking what we deserve, because this is how he describes it. At the climax of Mark's gospel story, Jesus himself will end up naked, isolated, outside the town among the tombs, shouting incomprehensible things as he is torn apart on the cross by the Roman standard of torture. Folks, this is what it means. This is where the power of the gospel comes, that Jesus Christ takes our place. He takes the punishment that we deserve. He takes what we should have gotten and takes it on himself. And whether you're here and you're not sure about your relationship with the Lord or whether you've been walking with the Lord for decades, it's still something to be enamored by, isn't it? The amazing love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that message is going out to the world. And it needs to continue to go out to the world. One of our workers in the Middle East I happen to be very good friends with. And I, I texted him one time a little while ago, and I, uh, I emailed him rather, and I said, you know, what can I pray for? And this is what he said. It had just happened recently. He said, pray for the dozens of men and their families to come to faith in Christ among a new group in the village that we just went to. We just met today with a group of 30 men. That is all that could fit into the house we visited. The whole thing was arranged by one man who has started considering the gospel, and he pulled together his whole community so, they can, so that we could come and share with them. There were at least 17 more that would have come but were uh, told to wait because of space. 
All of them expressed their desire to start meeting every week to a Bible study with us. All of them from Muslim backgrounds. So yes, the task is daunting. Over 2 billion people in the world still have not heard the name of Jesus. Or at least in a way that we understand in the gospel. And yet, the Holy Spirit is moving in people's hearts. There's no person that Christ cannot redeem. But lastly, notice the man himself. He begs to go with you. Understandably, right? He's just been saved by Jesus and they're about to get in the boat and go and he wants to go with them. Of course, who wouldn't want to be with Jesus? And notice what Jesus says, go to your own. Now that's a very um, special phrase because think about the man. Think about his background. Think about his family, his place, his region. He's got to be thinking, what family? Who are my own anymore? You have to imagine that with this demonic oppression, all his friendships, his family ties, his social status, everything has been laid waste in his background. Brought shame. Think of the pain that he brought to people, but think of the power of his story, his story of healing, his story of, reject, uh, of redemption. And notice, the people ask Jesus to leave. The people reject Jesus, but he will not reject him, will, will he? Because he's going to send the man to tell his story. Amazing. You see, there's no place that Christ will not go, no power that Christ cannot subdue, no person that Christ cannot redeem, and no purpose that Christ cannot fulfill. He has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for every one of his children. And you say, well, yeah, but I, I don't know. I couldn't go on the mission field or I couldn't do ministry in this way because I'm not a pastor. I'm not equipped yet. Okay. But let me ask you this. What was this man equipped with when he went back to his own people? Had he been to seminary? He had one encounter with Jesus. What was he equipped with? His story. He was equipped with his story about what Christ had done. And everyone here, if you are in Christ, you have a story to tell. And that's what God says he calls us to, right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I was talking in Sunday school that I have a cohort of about six young people, and we're, uh, I'm I call this level two cohort. We go through some Bible study, first level. Second level, you're on the hook. You got to learn to share your testimony in 30 seconds or in, and in five minutes so that when you hit the elevator button and you got seven floors and you got 30 seconds to tell your story, you got to be able to do that. And then you got to be able to share the gospel in 30 seconds and in five minutes. And I can tell you, when you start to be equipped, even in those small ways, God will use you. And he may use you here, and he may use you in another part of the world. Brothers and sisters, God does not do random. He's writing his story, and he's calling you to join that story. And that's what we're hoping. We're hoping that as God, it's called, you can uh, take anything at my booth you want. Um, don't want to take that stuff home. There's a brochure there called Join the Story. And so what if God raised up 1%? What would we do? We'd plant 500 new churches, start 30 new college campus ministries overseas, uh, open up 
200 more ministries, reach un, uh, 38 unreached people groups. Joining God's story. That's what he calls us to do. No place, no power, no purpose, no person, and no purpose that Christ cannot fulfill. That is the God that we worship. Let's pray to him. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you how it encourages us that you are the mighty God. You are an amazing God. And so we give you praise and honor and glory. And each one of us has a story that you are working out in our lives. And so help us, Lord, to follow you wherever you take us, whether it's here, whether it's across the globe. Lord, we want to be obedient to your will because we know that we worship the living God. We thank you in your precious name.